Greece. How many of you know that things aren't always as they seem? Do you know that? Well, if you live long enough, you'll find that out. Things aren't always as they seem. The setting is Colorado. It's the mid-1900s. An elderly couple is in line to board a train across a mountain pass to get to destination for a weekend getaway. While the elderly man is in line, he's got his luggage in his hand, a young man runs over him, and he's anxious to get on the train. He wants to cut in the line. He knocks the elderly man down. The, the luggage is all over the place. And he goes to the front of the line and cuts in line and gets on the train. As you can imagine, the elderly man is very upset. He picks himself up. He picks all of his luggage up. He gets back in line, and he is really hot. He is really angry. He can't believe that this young man was so rude and brash. Well, as fate would have it, when he and his wife find their seat on the train, they're sitting down right across from this young man who's seated by a beautiful young woman. And they go across the ridge cut and they go through a, a tunnel and suddenly everything is black. It's completely dark. About that time you heard the sound of a kiss and a slap. When they came through the tunnel, the young man was rubbing his face. And the folks began to think about what happened. So the older woman thought to herself, I know what happened. That young man tried to get fresh with that young girl and she slapped him. The young woman thought, I know what happened. That young man tried to kiss that older woman, and she slapped him. The young man rubbing his face thought to himself, I know what happened. That older gentleman tried to get fresh with that young girl. She thought it was me, and she slapped me. And the older man with a grin of satisfaction on his face thought to himself, I've never had so much fun in all my life. I kissed the back of my hand and slapped the fool out of that young man. <laughs> Things aren't always as they seem, right? You would think that when the Lord Jesus walked down heaven's stairway, became a man, and presented himself before the nation of Israel, they would have recognized their promised Messiah. But they didn't. The Bible says in John 1.11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. In spite of his character, no one lived the way the Lord Jesus lived. In spite of his teaching, no one taught as he thought. He thought with authority. In spite of all his miracles, everything he'd said and done, the people would not believe in him. Last week, Pastor Ben talked about 
the idea that when someone hardens their heart, they don't believe. And because of the hardness of their heart, they get to the place where they cannot believe. And it says in chapter 12 in verse 39 of John, therefore they could not believe. They would not believe. They refused to believe. Their hearts became hardened. And the Bible says they could not believe. The text we're going to look at this morning, Jesus preaches his last sermon. It's his last teaching. Luke 19 tells us that the week he was betrayed, every day he was in the temple teaching and preaching. And this evidently was one of the last times he spoke. And what he's doing is he's making his final appeal for the nation to believe in him. He makes that same appeal today. If you have your copy of the Word of God, and I hope you do, I turn to John chapter 12, and we'll begin with verse 44. John chapter 12 and verse 44. The Bible says, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Look at verse 46. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Look at verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Notice verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Notice verse 49. And I know... For I have received a commandment from the Father who sent me to say what he wills for me to say. Look at verse 50. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. During our time together, here's what I want us to do. I want us to identify three reasons to believe in Jesus. I want you to see in this text three reasons to believe in Him so that you can surrender your life fully to the Lordship of Christ. Three reasons to believe in Jesus so that you'll surrender fully to Him. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we ask that you open our eyes, that we might receive truth from your word. God, I pray that you speak through me. Lord, I want to be a vessel fit for the master's use. Would you allow me to speak in such a way where your people are blessed? 
and that we might receive truth from your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we examine this passage of Scripture, I want you to see three reasons to believe in Jesus. The first reason is this. Believe in Jesus because He's one with the Father. Believe in Jesus because He's one with the Father. Look at verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in Me believes not in Me, but in Him who sent Me. You might read it this way. Whoever believes in Me believes not in Me only, but in Him who sent Me. In other words, if you believe Jesus, you're going to believe the Father. Whoever sees me, he says in verse 45, sees him who sent me. Jesus is speaking here about the essential unity that he has with the Father. He's speaking about the solidarity he has. In other words, when you see Jesus, you see the Father. He's not implying here as the modalists teach, as the oneness people teach, that the Father and the Son are different manifestations of the same person. No, he's talking about the triune God. He's talking about the Godhead, the Trinity. And even though the Trinity is difficult for us and hard to comprehend what, what the Trinity looks like, it's clearly seen in Scripture. That's why many of the cults deny the Trinity. Why? Because they can't fully explain it. Let me tell you something. If you've got a God that you can fully explain, your God is too small. Amen? We can't explain everything there is to know about God, but we can know what the Bible teaches. And the Bible teaches the doctrine we call the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is triune. I like what Warren Wiersbe said about talking about the doctrine of the Trinity. Here's what he said. He said, listen, if you try to explain it, you might lose your mind. But if you try to explain it away, you might lose your soul. See, there's a lot of things we don't understand about God. And yet the Bible clearly teaches that our God is triune. The Bible clearly teaches what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. Theologian Wayne Grudem says that the Trinity can be described or summarized with three statements. You might want to jot them down. God is three persons. Each person is fully God, and God is one. God is three persons. Each person is fully God, and God is one. Now, what Jesus says is to believe him is to believe the Father. To see Him is to see the Father. The writer of the Hebrews would tell us He's the exact representation of God. He's the radiance of His glory. And when you see Jesus, you see the Father. When you see the way He lived, 
you see the exact way that the father would live if he clothed himself as Jesus did. Let's look at each of these three. The first one, God is three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are distinct persons of the Godhead. And that's clearly seen when you consider the baptism of Jesus. You can see the picture clearly. In Luke chapter 3, John the baptizer baptizes the Lord Jesus. Remember, he said, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You ought to be baptizing me. But Jesus said, we'll do it that all righteousness might be fulfilled. Remember? And so when Jesus comes up out of the water, it's a beautiful picture. You have the Lord Jesus who's obedient to the Father. You have the Holy Spirit that comes down in the form of a dove. And you hear the Father uh, saying as he splits heaven open and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And so it's a picture of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The second statement that Grudem makes is this. Each person is fully God. Turn back in your Bible to John chapter 1. And you can see it in John 1, 1. Notice. Are you there? Say word. Amen. In the beginning was the word. You say word for the word. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, notice the phrase, was with God. This proves what we said earlier, that the Lord Jesus is a distinct person from the Father. The Word was with God And then the Bible says the Word was God. And so that shows us that Jesus is fully God. So God is three persons. Every person is fully God, and God is one. Turn, if you would, to Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema. Faithful Jews recite this on a daily basis. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you believe in me, you believe in the Father. This is something that he said over and over again in the Gospel of John. Look at John 10.30. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. John 10, 38. Look at what it says. Go down a little bit further. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. 
Look at John 8, 19. John 8, 19. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So Jesus is clarifying it. He's telling us, he's saying, listen, if you believe me, you're going to believe my father. If you see me, you're going to see my father. He's sharing his essential unity, his solidarity with the father. Listen, Jesus would say on another account, I do nothing of my own will. Whatever I see the Father doing, that's what I do. Believe in Jesus because he's one with the Father. But secondly, believe in Jesus because he's the light of the world. Look at verse 46. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. That helps us to understand something. Listen, if you don't know Christ, if you've not come into relationship with Him, guess what the Bible says? You're in darkness. This is a major theme of John's Gospel. He talks about light and he talks about darkness. Look at John chapter 1 in verses 4 and 5. John's writing, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John eight twelve. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in John 9, before he heals a blind man in verse 5, here's what he says. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And so light, God being light, Jesus being light, is a major theme in the Gospel of John. In fact, in all of John's writings, he talks about light and he talks about darkness. And probably the best place to clearly see what he's talking about is in 1 John chapter 1. Look at 1 John chapter 1, and we'll begin with verse 5. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. When you get there, say word. John's writing. This is his epistle. He says, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, 
we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So there's a contrast here. John says, listen, you're either walking in light or you're walking in darkness. When we're walking in light, we're following Jesus. It, it implies that we possess eternal life. Listen, we're following Christ. We're wanting to be obedient to Christ. We're wanting to walk in truth. That's what it means to walk in the light. But there are those who walk in darkness. If you walk in darkness, you're following the course of this world. You're not following God. You're following the course of this world. And you're under the condemnation of God. You're in the darkness. How about you? Are you walking in the light? I pray that you are. Are you walking in darkness? Has, been the, has there been a moment in time where you've turned from sin and put your faith and trust in Christ? And if you're a believer, are you desiring to follow after Him? Rather than going the course of the world, are you following Jesus? Are you being obedient to Him? Are you walking in the light? Are you walking in truth? Are you in the darkness? Several years ago when I was in college, I was at a crossroads. Don't laugh. I was at a crossroads. I had a decision to make. And it was a very, in my mind, it was a very clear decision. Would I fully surrender to the things of God or would I follow after the world? You see, God wanted me to drive a stake down deep and say, rather than going the way of the world, I'm going to follow you no matter where you lead. Your will, your purpose. But I was in the throes of that decision. And you know, being a college student, there's always a woman involved. And it wasn't Chris. It was somebody else. I was younger. I was foolish. I went over to my friend Danny's dorm room. And he pulled out an album. And on that album, there was a song by Kenny Henson called The Lighthouse. That song gripped my heart. And there's a line in the song that says, My mind goes back to that stormy night when just in time I saw the light. It was the light of that old lighthouse that shines up there on a the hill. I thank God for the lighthouse. I owe my life to Him. Jesus is the lighthouse. And from the rocks of sin, He has shown a light around me that I might clearly see. If it wasn't for the lighthouse, where would this ship be? God dealt with me that morning. 
And rather than going the way of the world, I decided that I would surrender fully to the purpose and plan of God in my life. You see, God was dealing with me about going into ministry, full-time vocational ministry. And I was counting the cost. And as I counted the cost, that song helped me to remember all the things that God had done how He saved me, how He changed me, how He delivered me from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom I had redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All these things came to mind. And there was only one choice. Yes, Lord, to Your will, to Your way, to Your purpose. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in the throes of decision. You're a believer, but maybe you're straddling the fence. Maybe you've got one foot in the world and one foot in the church. God's desire for you is to drive a stake deep down and begin to walk in the light, to begin to walk in obedience to God, to begin to walk in truth and leave the things of the world behind. We sang an old song back when I was in youth group. That was really a long time ago. The cross before me, the world behind me. Is that you this morning? Do you have your eyes focused? Do you have your gaze fixed upon Christ and the things of God? Are you looking around at the things of the world and believing a lie from the enemy that these things might be attractive? Keep your gaze fixed. On Jesus. Amen. Amen. Believe in Jesus because He's one with the Father. Believe in Jesus because He's the light of the world. Believe in Jesus because to reject Christ means judgment. To reject Christ, those who reject Him will be judged. Now look at verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words, has a judge. The words that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. You say, wait a minute, Brother Tim. There seems to be a contradiction here. Verse 47, he says, I do not judge him. But in verse 48, he says, the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Listen, my friend, there's no contradiction. He's talking about two separate time frames here. 
we as believers believe in what theologians call two-advent eschatology, right? Jesus came the first time, but bless God, Jesus is coming again. Amen? When Jesus came the first time, he didn't come to judge you, friend. He came to save. And while we're in this age of grace, there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. But when Jesus comes again, the Bible tells us He's coming as judge. He's coming to judge the living and the dead. And here's how it's going to work. All those who have repented and believed, all those who have received Christ will not be judged. But those who reject Him, the Bible tells us right here in verse 48, will be judged by His spoken word. That's not going to be a good place to be. Now let's go back where we started. Pastor Daniel read John 3. Turn over to John 3, and I want you to see this clearly. Verse 16, one of our favorite verses, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Notice verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Look at verse 18, and here's the verse. Those who believe in Him, or whoever believes in Him, I think the ESV says, are not condemned. Do you get that? Those who believe in Him are not condemned. But those who do not believe in the only Son of God are what? Condemned already because they've not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the condemnation some translations say. I think ESV says, and this is the judgment. Notice that men loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. According to verse 18, I want to ask you a question. What does a person who does not believe, what does a person who is what we would say is lost, they're not a believer, have to do to be separated from God? What does a lost person have to do to go to hell? According to verse 18, absolutely nothing. You know why? Because you're already headed there. You're under the condemnation of God. Oh, but listen. Verse 17 gives us a light of hope, right? 
God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. There is an opportunity to be saved today. Believe in Jesus. Repent of sin and put your faith and trust in him and his finished work at the cross. Believe in the gospel. Surrender your life to Christ today. Now, what do you take away from a message like this? I've only got one walking point. We've seen in Scripture that we're to believe in Jesus because He's one with the Father. We've seen in Scripture that we're to believe in Jesus because He's the light of the world. We've seen in Scripture that we're to believe in Jesus because to reject Christ means that we're under judgment. We've seen that in Scripture. Now, if that's true, and oh, I believe it is. How about you? You believe that's true? If that's true, if all these claims are true, the greatest thing, hear me, the greatest thing you could ever do would be to commit your life to Jesus. To repent of sin and to transfer your trust to living, resurrected Christ. That would be the greatest thing that you could ever do. It would not only be good in this life, but for all eternity. I'm so glad on that stormy night that I saw the light. Amen? The light of that old lighthouse, Jesus when I was looking for him, he came looking for me. And when I bowed the knee to Jesus, it's as if God reached down and lifted the weight of the world off my shoulders. I was saved and born again. I didn't know much, but I knew this. Jesus made a difference in my life. That would be the greatest thing that you could do if you don't know Christ. But listen the greatest mistake you'll ever make would be to reject Him. I want to encourage you, my friend. I want to plead with you. If you don't know Christ, you can know Him today.